Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly life transitions podcast, where we share the stories and experiences of professionals that help families create a new path for themselves. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about transitioning your life through relationship separation, starting a new career, having babies, and many other life transitions. Find out more at mycleanbreak.ca. Here are your hosts, Darren and Tina. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Clean Break, the podcast. I'm Darren Javag, and I'm flying solo today because Tina Murray is off on her vacation. But you know what? It's going to be a fabulous show. Just the same. Uh, we'll be waving to Tina on her vacation, and uh, I hope she enjoys her time off. Today, we have a very exciting guest uh, joining me today is uh, Cole Seabrook. Cole is a financial advisor with O'Farrell Financial Services. Uh, he's based out of Kempville, I believe, and uh, he is going to talk to us a little bit more about financial planning and how to get yourself organized for the holidays and make sure that you don't end up regretting anything that you did over the, the break and the time off that we're taking with family. So welcome, Cole. Thank you for having me on the show, Darren. You're oh, very welcome. Nice to have you aboard. Cole, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where do you uh, come from? So uh, actually born and raised in, uh, in North Gore, so not too far away from uh, Campville. Um, got into the financial planning industry back in 2018 with uh, Canada Life. Uh, so I was with them for a majority or majority of my career up to this point prior to coming to O'Farrell Financial. Uh, it's been a great transition, great team here at O'Farrell. Yeah. And you're, uh, you're a young guy. You're in your 20s. 20, 23 years old. Um, so got in the industry right out of, uh, right out of school. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. Yeah. And, and what, what, uh, what uh, drew you towards the industry? Like, what is it you like about it? I've always had a draw to finance when I was actually in high school, thought I was going to become an accountant. Um, I really like being with the people and interacting, having lots of, uh, lots of conversations with people from all walks of life. So that's what draw me to becoming a financial advisor, um, rather than sitting, uh, sitting in a desk, uh, not talking to too many people, crunching numbers. Yeah. Uh, so definitely enjoy the, uh, the conversations and meeting new people. Mm-hmm. Problem solving. Do you like problem solving? Love doing that as well. That's uh, that's obviously a huge part of the job is uh, finding out where someone is today, where they'd like to go and trying to find that uh, path and the strategies to get them there. Right on. And this is the, obviously you must see this as a career, like a long-term career. You're at the beginning of your career, but any, uh, any epiphanies at this point, anything that's kind of popped into your mind that you realize, you know, um, in the industry that you really love and maybe are there any challenges? Uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a few things that I do love about the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them I've already touched on is meeting new people and having those, uh, those interactions. Um, obviously along the way, I, I'm early on in my career, like you mentioned, and I do see myself staying in this, uh, you know, until retirement one day, which I can't even think of right now. Cause that's long down the road, <laughs> but, uh, there are a couple of challenges, um, that really got, me, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to say that, but since being with O'Farrell, those challenges sort of have been taken away. Some of those challenges being uh, the, the processing side of, of the business, mm-hmm. um, building up my client base in the beginning, just getting your name out there right. was something that I struggled with in the beginning. But uh, after the work that I've done for people, word of mouth has really uh, spread and brought me a lot of 
new clients? Well, it's definitely a relationship business for sure. For sure. So O'Farrell Financial, they are in five locations, right? That's correct. And uh, I think they have a couple, at least a couple thousand clients and at least think, three thousand. I think right? we're close to about four, four or five thousand if I'm, uh, if I'm correct. I'd yeah. have to double check that, but in and around that number anyways. So not a small little boutique like it's a small boutique style firm but uh predominantly in the rural areas around ottawa right mostly in the rural areas um even though we would be considered you know a, a smaller boutique firm one of the nice things about that is it allows us to build those relationships uh with all of the clients mm -hmm. uh, so you have you know it's more of a, a comforting feel when you walk into the office more than likely you're going to see one advisor but along the way to their office you're going to say hi to a few people mm -hmm. uh that you've met over the years of working with O'Farrell. Right, right. And they've been around for 25 years now. Uh, started, I believe, in the basement of the managing partner. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> I have heard that story over uh, over the time that I've been with O'Farrell. Uh, it's it's quite amazing just the uh, the size of the firm that's uh, been built up, considering it started in, uh, in his basement and sort of grew from there. So it's very impressive. And uh, I think he has a great team around him mm -hmm. and uh, obviously has the right pieces to the puzzle in place to, uh, to keep expanding and, you know, adding those financial plans for clients. Yeah. Now let me ask you something. What, what do you think sets a company like let's say O'Farrell financial or a boutique firm uh, apart from let's say the big banks? Cause sometimes there's a misconception in the marketplace about like, we're like um, O'Farrell Financial or, or, or uh, smaller businesses, brokerage firms are, they're obviously different, but I think a lot of people don't understand how they're different from the big banks. What would you say to that? Of course, and going back to that, uh, that relationship piece would be one thing that would stand out if I was looking at it from the eyes of a client. Um, when you're working with the big banks, uh, they're great for, you know, your everyday savings and checkings account. But when it comes to that planning aspect uh, with with a firm like O'Farrell or any other boutique firm uh, goes back to that relationship piece. And they're going to be there with you sort of every step of the way uh, mm -hmm. throughout where you are now, where you want to be and how to get there throughout that financial plan. Mm -hmm. So the relationship and I guess longevity, like not having to retell the story to multiple People. Exactly. I've heard uh, from a few of my clients that they go to the bank and every time they're there, they see someone new, mm -hmm. which isn't the worst thing in the world. But when it comes to, you know, that longevity, that planning piece, um, being with a boutique firm or a firm like O'Farrell, mm -hmm. you get to come back and speak to that same person who already knows your story. They know your story. So that relationship piece, that trust piece is there. Great. And then from there, um, you don't have to re-explain yourself a uh, hundred times to someone new at uh, in front of you all the time. It's exciting. It is. It's, exciting. it's, it's a nice, I, I think it's a nice way to do business. Mm -hmm. right? So full disclosure, I work for O'Farrell Financial as well. Uh, I think most people that know me uh, my, in my background know that I'm a partner here at the firm. So of course, uh, I don't want to be beaten up on any, any uh, institutions. Uh, I think it's just clarity around what, what sets the firm apart. Um, one of the things that, what would you say about somebody that says it sounds expensive, like I can't afford to work with O'Farrell Financial, what would you say to that? I, I would actually ask them another question, say, what, what is it that sounds expensive to you? Um, I I've personally haven't walked into that question yet. I'm sure you have over, uh, over the years. Right. But sometimes 
you know, there is a cost to doing business, right? Uh, the expense sort of comes, it's built into the planning. So it's after the planning's already been done for the client, essentially. It's when, you know, investments or the insurance pieces are in place. Right. And it's not essentially coming out of their pocket directly to us. Right. So they don't write a check to the company. Right? Exactly. Thank you for the services. Here's a thousand dollars. Exactly. Right. Okay. So it does come through, uh, you know, whenever we put insurance in place for a client that suits their needs, mm -hmm. uh, it essentially comes from that company, obviously back to us. So it's not coming directly from, the from the client. Right. So I would normally pick their brain and take that a step further is what is it that you think is expensive mm -hmm. to work with a firm like us? Right. Now, what about tiers? You know, sometimes people might think with brokerage firms that there's, well, I don't have enough money to be working with a, with a bro brokerage firm like a firm. Like, is there, is there a, like a, a, a level? Like they won't, like, will the firm take, only take people above say a quarter million dollars? And that's a big uh, misconception that a lot of people have. Um, I know a lot of my clients that I'm working with just from my natural market are younger, just graduated from school or just starting in their careers. Uh, so they don't have, you know, a couple hundred thousand already. So there's not a, a threshold that we sort of cut people off at, you know, it's being there starting from the plan from, you know, step one all the way through. So some people in the beginning, they're not going to have a, a ton of cash to, to invest. Right. And it's all about being there for them, helping them guide through their uh, through their journey and build out their financial plan as well. Cool. No, I think that's good. I think it's good to to um, dispel some of the the rumors, myths, or maybe misconceptions in in the marketplace. Of course. So. Okay. Good. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, great firm. Uh, different uh, way of looking at things. Um, you're, you're a sharp guy, and you're you're getting things going. You must be learning a ton right now. Learning quite a bit. Uh... Coming over here, there's a couple other uh, licenses that I'm looking to acquire as long uh, as, as well as with a couple designations. Okay. And then on top of that, uh, the extra education, it's just being being at O'Farrell and uh, having conversations throughout the hallways with uh, with people like yourself and other partners right. who uh, they have a wealth of knowledge and I'm uh, just looking to learn from them. All right, so let's, let's teach the people who are listening now a little bit. Everyone who's listening, I'm sure you realize that today... Um, the podcast is really about transitions, right? So people, people in life go through different types of transitions, right? And, and originally, this show was was typically about people separating and divorcing. Uh, and you know, that is, a that's probably one of the most significant transitions people go through, right? Yeah, of course, uh, in life. But then, you know, what we realize is that there are more transitions as well. There's like people, like people have family members that pass away. Other people are having families and babies. Uh, people are changing their careers. There's so many transitions. I think everybody goes through so many that they don't really realize how many transitions we go through exactly. on, a, on an annual basis. So today's today's topic is really about financial planning in general, right? And it's about how to how to set yourself up for success in the future, right? So with the holidays coming up, obviously this podcast, I don't want to date it, but it's we're getting close <laughs> to the holidays right now. Of course. Um, a lot of people have questions uh, about, you know, how they're going to get through the holidays. Are they going to use credit cards? So tell me some of the, some of the tips maybe that you give your clients about setting expectations and goals in the, during the holidays. Of course. No, I'd love to, uh, to touch on some of those things. Uh, whenever I'm building a plan with some, someone, I, uh, one of the first things in, in the first couple of meetings that I like to tell people is let's build a plan that you're able to stick to mm -hmm. regardless of 
the time of year or uh, or what's going on in life, whether that be, you know, putting X amount of dollars away a month, are we going to be able to sustain this for for the long term to get to, to get the client to where they would like to be eventually? Mm-hmm. And obviously the holidays uh, do do play a factor into that uh, when it comes to time to buy presents for people that may impact the budget a little bit. Right. Right now, sort of going back to what you said, throw it on the credit card. Maybe there is money that they already have to to spend on. And unfortunately, I've I've even chatted with some people, uh, and I wouldn't say unfortunately, but some people are pulling from their investments to to purchase some of those larger uh, larger ticket items right. uh, for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thing I tell them is always, uh, you know, it's all about setting expectations, mm-hmm. setting the expectations of giving gifts year over year, mm-hmm. maybe before the holidays are even coming into play, start setting those expectations. I know in my personal life, uh, my, my grandparents said right after last Christmas, this is last year, anyone, <laughs> the family's getting presents. We're all laughing at them. Like, okay, you're getting a card. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but they set that expectation up for us uh, way in advance. Just saying, Hey, listen, no more gifts next year. Right. Now I'm sure if uh, if you had me back on the show sometime in the new year, there would be something. But it's setting expectations, whether that be for your children, for coworkers, right, friends, family, all that sort of stuff. Right. Do you do you recommend people make a list? You know, like of of the number of gifts, so that they can visually see how many gifts they're gonna have to buy and stuff like that. I think that is a, a great idea. I personally haven't been using that one myself. Um, but like budgeting, yes, have, have a budget in place when it comes to, uh, to shopping mm-hmm. for, for those presents, you know, have a list of maybe the names of people you'd like to buy a present for maybe a rough budget that you have in mind mm-hmm. of what you would like to spend, what you can spend over, over the holidays. Yeah. And whenever you knock someone off the list, cross them off, give them a check mark, stay on budget exactly so since you brought up budget how how important would you say is budgeting to financial planning i I would say they go hand in hand okay um having having a budget in place really allows you to see what uh, what's coming in each month what's going out Mm -hmm. and that does go hand in hand with financial planning because we need to know sort of where your expenses are at how long they're going to be expenses for how well, how many months years they're going to last mm-hmm. and what is your extra cash flow doing for you right, right. Uh, that's that's one major topic that i speak uh, speak on with most of my clients right. is uh you know cash flow and how we can make that work towards your goals and your financial plan let me ask you something how how what percentage do you think of people prior to come seeing you actually have a budget and be honest. I mean, you know, let shock values okay. Honestly, I'm gonna say it's it's under 20. Okay. It's definitely under 20% of people. Now saying that there are people who have came to me in the past, uh, some clients presently who have in our first meeting walked up with a with almost an Excel sheet saying, here's what I spend each month, here's my cash flow. And I was very, very surprised. And I was almost like, 
you, you did a small portion of what I was going to try and take you through today. Right. Um, so some people are very uh, conscious of having that budget in place, which is a great thing. But going back to your question, I think the number would be relatively low. Right. Right. And why do you think that is? Let me like, do you have an opinion on that? Like, why do you think people just avoid doing budgets? That's, that's a great question. Uh, why do people avoid doing budgets? I think there could be many reasons. Maybe one of them being the fact that they just don't want to sort of be realistic with themselves. Um, I, I've, I've met people. Transparency. Got to own the fact that they're spending more than they should. Exactly. Um, you know, credit card can be a great thing, can also uh, really hinder hinder your financial position, not even your plan, just your the position someone's currently in. Mm -hmm. um, so the budget piece, going back to that, they do go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, I think clarity is very important, right? Because uh, I know I know with my clients when I when I'm dealing with budgeting and cash flow, I always say that it's kind of like you're like when you're doing the plan, it's kind of like being in a dark room and you're throwing a, a dart a dartboard and you can't see it. So if you can't see it, how do you know what it is, right? And and I think budgeting helps clarify that you know it clarifies what's coming in and going out right and yeah. um i know sometimes i've heard people say well you know a budget's going to be restrictive it's you're controlling me and my spending mm -hmm. what would you say if somebody said something like that to you like this is you're just trying to control what i'm what i'm doing with my money typically what i would say back to that is i don't have any control of your money or mm -hmm. what you do with it but i would like if if they're open to it i would like to help them you know grow along the way meet those plans i never want to be restrictive to right they worked hard for it it's yep. their money yeah at the end of the day i'm not uh, i'm not locking it up and taking it away from them mm -hmm. but going back to the restricted piece i can understand why some people would think that mm -hmm. because if they've never went through a budget before and they're used to spending x dollars amount uh, each month yep. and they they make x amount of dollars maybe living paycheck to paycheck. I've ran into that situation before, which sometimes people, you know, have, they have to survive and get through what they have to get through. But be, with regards to being restrictive, I wouldn't say a budget is being restrictive, but the people might perceive it that way just because they've never had a budget in place before. So if we're going to cut this small, small item out of your monthly spending, I can see why they would, they would feel restricted. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, you took away this. Right. <laughs> but it does help you get why at the end end of the day. So for sure. So you mentioned something there about growing, you know, like uh, um, growing your wealth or growing having like inside the plan. What are some what are some ideas that you could give people outside of the budget? So now they understand their cash flow. What would be something that you would you would work with them on? Um, when it comes from fundamental planning. So as like, let's talk about savings, right? A lot of people struggle with saving money. So what are some tips that you might give somebody that's having trouble saving money? One, one of the biggest tips that I uh, personally give people is can we allocate a specific amount each month um, to, to save? Right. And uh, a term that's used quite frequently in our office, as you know, is dollar cost averaging. Right. So if someone can save uh, a certain amount of money every month, whether that be $25, $100, anything in between, whatever the savings amount may be, that's going to vary for, for each individual. 
But if you can stick to a regimented plan to save consistently over the months, the years, over time, that will that will grow. Right. And with with the with regards to the, the planning aspect of it, they are they're able to to invest in in different uh, different products, mm-hmm. which essentially will make their their money work for them. Right. right. Which I think is which is huge. Now, saying that, um, one of the things that is really important is sticking to that savings plan. Right. It's great to say that. So do they have to make the deposits or is it something that happens automatically? So it is automatically. Okay. So we can set it up that we have X amount of dollars withdrawn monthly, biweekly, whatever the case may be, whatever works and is tailored to sort of them. Mm-hmm. And it can be automatically withdrawn from their bank account. Out of sight, out of mind. Can't don't see it, can't spend it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I like it. I like it. So now, you know, like speaking to that, dollar cost averaging, are there like what would be some of the benefits to, to dollar cost averaging? Would they be saving into, let's say, a savings account or or some kind of a daily interest savings account, or would they be going into something other kind of product? So they'd be going into a, a product like a, a mutual fund, a segregated fund, or even going into stocks uh, individually. Okay. And the nice thing about dollar cost averaging is because you're saving a, a certain amount of money over time, monthly, weekly, like we uh, just discussed. And it is deposited automatically from someone's bank account. Right. You're buying into the market at all different points. Okay. So a benefit of that is because it's being withdrawn automatically, Mm -hmm. you could be buying at a lower point. Right. Typically, when I say that to clients, they tell me the reverse, but I'm also going to be buying at the highs. Right. And that's that's not a bad thing either, because over over the course of time, you're buying at highs and lows. So you're dollar cost averaging. So you're getting the average uh, when you're throwing those deposits in. Right. Now that kind of goes to time in the markets. I've had clients say, well, what if we just, you know, hold off on those deposits when the market's doing well. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll put it in. Exactly. And then, and why would you tell somebody that's not a good idea? Personally, I think there's never a bad time to be in the market. Mm -hmm. And that goes towards sort of their, their time horizon that they have to invest. Now, obviously, if they had a shorter time horizon, I'm not going to be throwing them into a 100% equity fund or something that's very, uh, very risky. Speculative. Exactly. (laughs) Definitely not going to be going into that. That is very volatile. But anything that is volatile, uh, you know, like a Bitcoin or some of those startup companies, Mm -hmm. you know, would definitely keep them away from that. If their time horizon was, you know, one, one, two, three years. Yeah. Uh, stay away from that. Obviously, if they're a younger person like myself and have 40, 50 years till retirement. <laughs> I wish I had 40. Different story years. then. <laughs> oh my God. Like if you ever find the fountain of youth, let me know. Let me know. Cause I want to roll it back a little bit. <laughs> all right, Jared. So, uh, all right. So th- th- these are great things that we're talking about, Cole. I love this stuff. Um, Tell me a little bit about, I mean, you're in a young generation, right? Like you're not a young generation, but you're in a generation. Uh, so what, what generation are you? Like the millennial, I know the millennial, I get lost in the millennials, the Gen X and all that. Which, which, which one's yours? You're the Gen. That's, that's a great question. I don't know. I, the, I you're, don't know myself. You're in your twenties right now. So 
we'll figure that one out after the show, but perfect. <laughs> but I do know that, you know, with the, you know, with the expansion right now, I believe the millennial uh, demographic is probably one of the largest right now today that is that ha- like that's growing and acquiring wealth. Of the, course. You know, and they're probably going to be one of the one of the biggest benef- uh, benefactors of um, uh, or benef- beneficiary benef- beneficiaries of the um, the boomer generation who's acquired and sitting on assets that they're now retired and living off of. So a lot of that uh, that wealth is going to transition to millennials and down, you know, the and cascade down the generations. But, you know, when you look at the when you look at the 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 mature generation 60 plus a lot of those people are they're happy to have a relationship right happy to deal with one advisor for 20 years no of course a lot of people in the you know pre i would say pre 40 somethings they really uh in my what i see on the radio and in media a lot of them are being pushed to do it yourself right and do you find that has that's a that's a topic of conversation or does it come up where people want to try to do things themselves that is a largely a topic of conversation especially working with the the younger demographics some of those people even being my friends um, where they think they can even do it themselves and sometimes it it works out for people right but having someone uh, like myself or yourself darren to help them guide along the way mm-hmm. and take the emotional side out of investing is, is one thing that I've always been touching on with, uh, with clients, right? Because if, if you have the emotional side of investing, you're only going to want to buy in the lows and sell in the highs, but there when is that, right? That's something we can't do. I can't time the market. I don't think, I don't think anyone, anyone can. else out there can. Right. Right. So you help guide people's emotions as far as, you know, when there's a major correction and things drop and, pre- and, uh, and, you know, like, and people are tempted to, to, to bail because of the emotion part. Um, is that something that you try to, to guide people with? Like, you know, when they, where they're telling you sell, sell, I'm, I'm worried about my investments. Normally uh, we have quite a good conversation. I going back to earlier in the pandemic when it first happened and the markets were declining day after day. It was just that reminder to to a majority of the people that you're the reason you invested this money is was for 15, 20 years down the road. Right. We don't need to sell right now. There's going to be a recovery. They would ask me when. I didn't have an answer for them. And I was, I was very transparent with that, saying I couldn't give you a specific time on a specific date where you're we're going to recover, mm-hmm. but just sort of reiterating that when we originally put this plan in place, it was for 10, 15 years out. Mm-hmm. And let's stay on track with that. Right. So you bring, bring the temperature down a little bit. Exactly. That's, that's, that's one of the, one of the major things, but going back to, uh, to younger people sort of doing it themselves, mm-hmm. there's a lot of platforms out there right now where people are able to, to buy, sell, whether it be funds or individual stocks. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, there are some benefits, but personally I would say have someone else on your side to, to help you along the way. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I think relationship is very important, right? Because uh, would you say that in the marketplace lots, is it more important what you make or is it more important what you pay in fees? Do you think? Like, should somebody care about the fees if they're making the return that they need? I think 
it's good to be or good to understand what the fees are. Right. Transparency. Transparency. Once again, that's something I go over with all of my clients. Here's the fees for investing. Right. But the other thing is while building someone's plan, we project them out with this average return over the span of however many years. Right. So personally, I think returns are more important than the fees that are being paid. Right. And, and do you like, it's nice to hear you say you're transparent about that and showing clients that they actually are paying something for the advice, for the dealership, for the investments that they use. Um, Do you think there's a misconception in the marketplace that some of the larger companies don't charge fees? There is a misconception, a very large one. Um, I've even been out, uh, out just grabbing a coffee and chatting with people. They ask, what do you do? And when going into that conversation, I'm a financial advisor. Typically, they have a, a, a general understanding of, of what I do. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be fairly broad. They could have a very wide, they could have a very good understanding or just a general concept. And if that conversation goes well, you know, I'll ask, do you have any, any investments yourself? How's that going for you? Just to sort of strike up the conversation while killing some time. And I've heard people say, well, the bank doesn't charge me any fees. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have fees for investing. And uh, I'm sure as, as you know, there, there are fees. Maybe there's, there's a lack of transparency or maybe they forgot from the time they, they originally sat down at the bank. Right. And we're speaking with myself. Right. Because I know I know quite a few institutions use what are called embedded fees, which are behind the curtain. Right. So you don't exactly. really see them come out. Uh, I know that uh, boutique firms or uh, brokerage firms typically use what are called, uh, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they're fee for service or like our, our, our fee-based, fee-based investments, which are transparent and shows everything that's happening. So it's the same investments. The only difference is, is that you see what you're being charged, not have it hidden from you. Exactly. Right? Is that right? Okay. That, that, yeah. And we, we make sure that it is very transparent to, to each individual client that's walking through the door, uh, the fees that they will be paying. And sometimes that does lead into a further conversation. Yep. Which can be which can be an eye opener to uh, to quite a few people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know I don't think that you have or the firm has to, or that any businesses have to be everything to everyone. Sometimes people connect and sometimes they don't, and that's okay. Like exactly. Everybody's going to find their own way, right? I want to touch on one last thing before we close. Of course, um, you you know like the investment side of things are pretty exciting sometimes, maybe not exciting other times, but uh, there's another part to your industry or in your planning side, which is risk management. How important is that to, to your planning? That is, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, That is a key factor to the planning piece. So risk management could be anything from the, the life insurance side to the disability side. So that's protecting, uh, protecting essentially your wealth. Right. If, if someone were, you know, got hurt, outside of work or on the job and was unable to receive that income, that's going to throw their, their plan way off track. Right. right. So having that or die, even die, like that is, that is also part of there's, you know, there's many avenues of planning where, where the the risk management comes into play. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to, to what you said, if someone does, uh, does die, they're leaving potentially their, the, their spouse and children with, 
without their income. Without income. Yeah. So you need to do some income replacement. Uh, typically, a large thing I speak on, especially with younger families, is let's take care of the mortgage. Right. If someone were yeah. to pass, if someone were to pass away, let's make sure you can maintain that standard of living. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a it's a tough time when when someone passes away, but to make sure that they can maintain that standard of living, and they don't have to to adjust right after someone passes away is is one of those key topics to uh, to think of when, when kind of like your foundation you know, of your plan. Really. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what, Cole, I think we're gonna have to get you back on the show because we've kind of just scratched the surface on a lot of these, you know, planning ideas and things that you do as a planner. Of course. With your clients. Um, really nice to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Where, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Um, so do have social media. Um, if anyone's looking directly, you can go to my, my LinkedIn page. Just search Cole Seabrook. You will find me there. Uh, on my page, if you scroll to the bottom, there's my uh, my phone number as well as email. And if uh, if you know Darren uh, personally and have his contact, just bug him and uh, he'll make sure to pass on my information. I certainly will. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? We're going to also add this, uh, the the podcast and some other, other information about you onto the mycleanbreak.ca website, which is where all the transitions happen. And uh, people can connect with, connect with you there and get your, your details there. That sounds great. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us again today. Uh, uh, until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic. You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on life transitions. You can find more topics like today's and other great advice from life transition professionals at mycleanbreak.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. MyCleanBreak.ca has clear and simple advice from trusted local professionals to help you get to the other side of any transition.